make some money. So they threw him on a donkey. He got carted down to Egypt and sold in the slave market. His coat dipped in the blood of a slain animal and shown to his father, ripped up and shown to his father's evidence that he was dead. Well, it would have been easy to not endure and not persevere. And then he rises to prominence uh, by the Lord's grace, by his diligent hard work, by not losing heart. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, a ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you've joined us in the past, you know that Pastor Chris has been in a series of messages that he's entitled, Topics for Tough Times. In the past, we've looked at the, the topic of having joy, having courage, and having wisdom during these tough times in which we live. Today, Pastor Chris will start into a message on perseverance. He defines perseverance as the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to joyfully, courageously, and diligently obey the will of God in the face of every trial and difficulty for the course of your entire life. If you would, grab your Bible and turn with us as Pastor Chris begins this message. Well, it certainly is a joy to come tonight and discuss yet another topic for tough times. And it seems good that at about this point where we've been in this for a couple of months, and although some things are changing, it certainly appears that certain things will not change uh, much or certainly won't change a lot uh, quickly. Now seems like a good time for endurance, for perseverance. And so we're going to take some time tonight to just flesh out what it means to persevere, to press on, to, to continue in, in the same direction under great difficulty for a long time. That's generally the idea. And the, the passage I'll, I'll begin with, it's not, we're not going to spend our entire time here tonight, but Hebrews chapter 12, it's a favorite of mine and really, I think, fleshes out for us at least some of the basics involved in having perseverance. So Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? When I was training for a marathon, that would be two years ago, and for my 50th birthday or 50th birthday year, I decided I would treat myself to a marathon. I know that's strange, uh, kind of a strange way to celebrate, but seemed like seemed good to me at the time, although I'm not sure it was the best uh, means of celebration. So as I was training for this, uh, I've been doing a fair amount of running, but there wasn't any way that I could just start out running 26 miles. Some of the other runs that I've done, I could just begin by running that distance and then kind of trying to improve my time. But with a marathon, with a marathon I, I wasn't even close. So I had to work my way up. And I wasn't just trying to finish the 26 miles. I wanted to try to run it as well as I could within the amount of time that I had to train. 
So I needed not just to run uh, slowly in the same direction for a long period of time. I needed to run sometimes more quickly, sometimes do my miles as fast as I could, and then run more slowly, then more quickly, so I could increase my speed and my stamina for the entire 26 miles. And so I actually planned a schedule so that I would do a half marathon about four months before the marathon, and I'd have an intermediate goal that I could shoot for, and then I could build my way up to the full 26 miles. Unfortunately, Right after I did the half marathon, I decided that the next best thing to do would be to play football for the men's retreat, and as uh, so often happens, uh, I got injured. Actually, it was the first time I'd actually been injured, and I pulled my hamstring, which really took me out of training for about a month and, and, and just laid waste all the good plans that I had for how, you know, how well I would be trained, how much I would have done. So I pretty much was starting over uh, with about three months left to go. And I would run and run, and I had to bump up my training schedule a little bit, yet I was trying to keep it constrained with the amount of time that I had. And every time I got to about 18 miles, I absolutely bonked. I mean, that's kind of a, a technical runner's term for you just, your, your body feels like it just blew apart. So I hit 18 miles, and I, would like, I was supposed to do 20. It was literally like I felt like I was crawling my way back home. And every time I would hit that 18-mile barrier, it would happen. So as you might imagine, my, my mental state as I began approaching the race within a month or so wasn't great. I'm thinking, I have to do 26, and at 18, I, can, I just keep bonking. Well, I kept running, kept trying to vary my speeds, increase my stamina, and finally, about two weeks before the race, I was running. I hit the 18-mile mark. My goal was to go 21 miles, and I actually felt like I was going to survive past the 18. Hit 20 miles, I felt okay. And by the time I hit 21, I was ready to, ready to pass out. But I made it to 21, and I thought, all right, at least this is a good sign. I think, I can, I think I'm going to be able to finish the race and finish well. But when I actually got to the marathon itself, I started out, and uh, if you've ever run something like that, and kind of the way I've been training, I was thinking through the race and carefully monitoring my condition kind of at each mile in the race. So I would uh, start out and then see how fast the mile went. Then after three or four miles, see how well I felt. Well, you can imagine that as I began to get towards 18 miles, I got a little bit nervous. I'd been, I started out a little too fast. I slowed down a little bit. Then I slowed down a little too much and I'm trying to pick up the pace. And I'm getting hitting 18 miles. And I'm like, I wonder if I'm just going to blow apart here. My race will pretty much be done. I'll kind of crawl back to the, you know, may, maybe I'll walk uh, the rest of the way. But I rejoiced that when I hit 18 miles, I felt pretty good. And I actually picked up my pace just a little bit through 19, not too bad. You know, I'm checking my watch and only a couple seconds slow down. I went past 22 miles and I actually felt like I was, I was going to survive. So I ran those last four miles, actually got kind of a second wind, managed to do those last four miles only a little bit slower, maybe a couple seconds slower than I began. And so I rejoiced that my training actually enabled me to finish the race, but not just drag across the finish line, although I was pretty wasted when I was done, but actually to, to spend the entire race essentially at maximum effort for what was needed at that point in the race. And that's essentially what our Christian life is about. It's not a sprint. I mean, I, I sprinted in high school, so I'd run the 100 meters, and you just go out and just run as fast as you can, then you're all done. Well, that's not the nature of the Christian life. We don't just kind of come to know Christ and then just sprint for the finish line like crazy and then realize we've still got 40 years left or 50 years left to go. What's required in the Christian life is to give maximum effort, but maximum effort each day at the level necessary for us to continue on serving the Lord in ever-increasing strength as we press on in life. We must be equipped for the long haul to face things that we might never have anticipated. 
And in order to be able to face those difficulties later, we have to have careful perseverance now. We need to be training ourselves. Just like I wanted to get through 26 miles, and so I began with the careful process of training. So we realized that the finish line is in the future, but we have to be training now so that we can work our way through the ever-increasing difficulties, which will certainly come. If Christ does not return, and he certainly could return, but there is no guarantee that he will return tomorrow or the next day. So we want to prepare carefully to have the proper kind of perseverance so that every point in our lives, we have the strength that we need to work our way through the difficulties that face us in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. In fact, many of you have come to this particular trial at a unique stage in your life. You're a teenager, and so you have been you know, living your life up to this point, and things have been perhaps relatively easy for you. All of a sudden, you're locked down. You can't be with your friends. Maybe you didn't get to graduate. Maybe there's other things going on. Prayerfully, what you discovered during this time was that your pursuit of Christ before this crisis has actually enabled you to flourish in it. In fact, I think we heard some of that in our testimony. And that is the goal. Who could have possibly imagined that this kind of thing would happen? No one. And yet the Lord had it in mind all along the way. It's been part of his decree really from before the beginning of time. He knew it was coming, and so he brought trials into your life so that you would be prepared to make it through this one. But then think about it. If you make it through this particular trial, let's say you're able to flourish in it and seek the Lord and walk more closely with him, then you will be prepared for the next trial that comes, and who knows when that will come, and who knows what it will be, who knows what form that particular trial will take. But rest assured, that it will come because what the Lord has for us in our lives is really an ever-increasing measure of, of, of responsibility and purpose that he's called us to, and that will include increasingly difficult trials. Proverbs 24.10, which has really become kind of a theme verse for us in this topic for tough times, says this, if you're slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. If you didn't prepare well, and then things are hard, and you can't press through to accomplish the work, you've missed the point. That's why we must be cultivating our perseverance. We must be building our stamina. We must take each trial that the Lord brings and seek to, to go through it biblically so that we can be prepared for all that the Lord has and that we can do it well. Imagine if you got to this point in time. Imagine if we as a church had gotten to this point in time and they're just blown apart, couldn't handle not being together, couldn't handle you know, the, the time that we weren't able to spend with one another. Well, we haven't. And the Lord has enabled us to flourish. And so therefore we have been able, by the Lord's grace, to be the kind of example in a dark world that we need to be. This needs to be true across the board. In fact, I would consider even our meeting again on May 17th. There's lots of difficulties that are going to be associated with that. Ways that people think about that and, and how we get together and the things that happen from that. Well, prayerfully, our strength now that we've been cultivating will enable us to walk through that greater part of this trial in, with even more joy, more unity, more example to a world of how to bring glory to God. That's our prayer. And that's what perseverance is all about. So what we'll see tonight is that Continual growth and perseverance must be carefully cultivated in the life of every believer so that they will have the strength necessary to endure every difficulty between now and eternity. Again, continual growth and perseverance must be carefully cultivated in the life of every believer so that they will have the strength necessary to endure every difficulty between now and eternity. Perseverance provides for faithfulness until final victory. Perseverance provides for faithfulness until final victory. That is, when Christ returns again and there are no more of these kinds of battles to be fought.
So as we consider the nature of perseverance, this topic for a tough time indeed, let's first look at the definition. Perseverance, and again, a theological definition drawn from hundreds of verses, Old and New Testament, that relate to this principle of continuing with strength through trial. So here's a, a theological definition. It is the Holy Spirit empowered ability to joyfully, courageously, and diligently obey the will of God in the face of every trial and difficulty for the course of your entire life. The Holy Spirit empowered ability to joyfully, courageously, and diligently obey the will of God in the face of every trial and difficulty for the course of your entire life. It's not just starting off well and then failing. It's not starts, you know, kind of fits and spurts of doing well on occasion. The goal is that we would walk through every trial, every difficulty from now until Christ comes again with diligence, with joy, and with courage. So let's just consider each piece of that definition as an overview and then launch ourselves into the specifics of how we pursue perseverance. First, and this has been true with each of the topics that we have discussed, all of them begin with this phrase, the Holy Spirit empowered. These are Christian virtues. These are things that the Spirit of God builds into the life. This is not the stoic perseverance of someone who pulls themselves up by their bootstraps, gets all their physical strength, and tries to face a difficulty. No, this is a Holy Spirit-empowered ability because this kind of perseverance is all about bringing glory to God through Christ. You see, unbelievers can get through difficulty. In fact, they can even make it through many difficulties through much of their lives. In fact, if you consider uh, you know, some, of the, some of the stories in our world, people who climbed Mount Everest or did other things, incredible human perseverance, but not necessarily in any way to bring glory to God. True Christian perseverance must be empowered by the Spirit of God in order for us to be able to bring glory to God through it and to work our way through trials in a manner which constantly puts the spotlight on Jesus rather than on ourselves and on our own ability. This is a spiritual capacity. Ephesians 3.16 speaks to this. Paul prays that, that uh, God would grant to the Ephesians, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's what we need. Our mind, will, affections, and conscience need to be strengthened by the spirit of God to persevere properly through trials in a manner which brings glory to God. So it's the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to joyfully. We talked about joy last week. That's the true delight to bring honor and glory to our Savior by accomplishing his work, by doing the things that are pleasing to him even when it's difficult. True perseverance is accomplished as we consider our trials and difficulties to be joy, delighting that they are conforming us to the image of Christ. 1 Peter 1.5 says, We are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, and in this you greatly rejoice. So true perseverance has, has to do with true Christian joy. That is the delight to be conformed to the image of Christ to grow in relationship with him and with his people. So the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to joyfully and courageously. True perseverance is not just slogging through the difficulty, not just hanging on by our very fingertips, but boldly facing it in the strength provided by God. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. 
for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This kind of perseverance is, is accomplished with great courage. We step forward into difficulties with boldness for our God to accomplish his work and to bring glory to his name. With the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to joyfully, courageously, and diligently obey the will of God. That is biblical perseverance. It's not just existing. It's not just kind of slogging our way through with a stoic mindset, but actively engaging each trial with diligent effort. Each part of our life being pursued, not kind of apathetically let to wash over. It's not passively responding to life, but actively pursuing the will of God, even when things are hard. 1 Timothy 4.15. Paul tells Timothy that in the ministry, he is to take pains with these things. He's to be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, says Paul. For as you will do, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and those who hear you. A true biblical perseverance takes diligent effort. We're seeking to do all that the Lord has given us in the full strength of his power so that every part of the work that he's given us to do will be accomplished. It's not just barely making it. It is actively, diligently pursuing the work in the midst of difficulty. And this true perseverance is diligently obeying the will of God joyously and courageously, not our own will, not getting our own agenda accomplished. It is amazing what human beings can do when their own interests are at heart and they can overcome tremendous obstacles, but that's not biblical diligence. That's not biblical perseverance. To have a true Holy Spirit-empowered endurance, that means that we are accomplishing God's will, not our own. His desires have replaced ours. And so our perseverance is in carrying out the things that he desires, the things that please his heart, the things that make his name great, not doing things for our own selfish purposes. Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why or how? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, this diligent effort is for the pleasure of God in the true believer. And then this biblical diligence is, or perseverance is in the face of every trial and difficulty. The word perseverance, by its very nature, presupposes things that are hard. We don't have to persevere to enjoy a day at the beach. That's enjoyable. Perseverance means things are difficult. There are, are trials in our way, temptations in our way that hinder us. And so we are to pursue this kind of perseverance, not through some of our trials, not through difficulties that we find perhaps easy or to overcome. We're to pursue this perseverance through every test and every trial from little to great. Because even the smaller, and in fact, and in, fact in the beginning, all of the smaller difficulties are shaping and molding and preparing us for the bigger difficulties that will come. We can't just ignore some difficulties and say, well, I don't have to do that one well. When it comes to the big difficulty, when it really gets hard, then I'll make it because we won't. I couldn't say, well, I'm not going to go out and run every day because when it comes time for the marathon, I'll just run that 26 miles. There was no way. I had to go out and run each day and prepare each day. Same with the Christian life. Every trial and difficulty we need to persevere through so that we can gain and grow in strength. James 1, 2 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That is every kind of trial knowing that the testing of your faith, that is those various trials, produces endurance. Every single test, every difficulty, everything that, that, that challenges our faith, 
is an opportunity for us to persevere through so that we grow in strength. And then this is for the course of your entire life, not just a good start, not just a sprint through a year or two, not just a sprint through high school. Some of you have, you entered into the high school ministry in seventh grade and you were on fire for the Lord. And you, it was what your family knew and is what you knew and you were excited about the things of the Lord. But then as you've gone towards your sophomore year and your junior year, you started to fade already. Already the things of the world have begun to distract you perhaps and, and, and you, all of a sudden you realize things that were out there that you never even thought about. And you have desires and, and, and wishes that you didn't even consider when you were in seventh grade. And now you're beginning to fade. It's not time to fade. You're just getting started. The true believer continues for the long haul. And so right now, perhaps, even your ability to persevere is revealing whether or not you truly know Christ. I urge you, dig deep during these times now, perhaps even this time, when you've been away from the youth group, away from the church, you start to realize that stuff's just not very important to me at all. Your perseverance is lacking because there was no real faith. Well, the goal is that we would help you recognize that now's the time either to put faith and trust in Christ for the first time so that you can truly persevere, or if your perseverance is beginning to lag a bit, that you would recognize that and put into place the things that you need to persevere. Because believe me, it's going to get harder than this, even a coronavirus, even the lockdown of the entire world in that sense. There are things that will come to you that are going to be more difficult. Now is the time to be continuing that perseverance. I know too many people that kind of blazed through high school because they had the youth group and had encouraging families and had people around them. And then once that was gone, they faded quickly. Some of them true believers who ended up just in miserable circumstances in the world and came back to the Lord later on, lamenting the fact that they didn't persevere through those first difficulties that faced them right after they got out of high school. They weren't prepared or they chose not to take the preparation that they'd received. So I urge you, as you consider that definition, but the goal is that we would be strong for our entire lives. Now, you know, that was just talking to high schoolers. How about you who have just entered into a new season of life with children? Or those who are now working into a season of life where their, their young ones are getting married and there's a whole extended family to deal with. Perhaps those who have, are, are entering a new position now where you've lost your job and your, your retirement account has been sucked dry because of this crisis. All the things that happen to us at the different phases in life we are to, by God's grace, persevere through them. And perhaps consider my elderly. Those of you in our church who have, have persevered for a long time, and yet now as your bodies are not responding in the way that you would like, as things are grow more difficult, perhaps your perseverance is beginning to fade. Well, my prayer is that as we look through these principles, that each one will be strengthened to pers persevere through the difficulties that we face with joy, with courage, and with strength. So let's look at the strength for perseverance, where does it come from? How is it that we can take hold of the resources that God has given to us? Well, first, the strength comes through the Spirit of God. We've already mentioned that. That's the very basis of the definition. God, through the Holy Spirit, is the giver of perseverance. It is His power alone which remains, which allows us to remain faithful. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's God who began this work. It is the Spirit of God who will carry you through. He has limitless, infinite power, and that power is at work in your life, and He will carry you through. That's the joy of this. You don't lack spiritual strength. We just have to take hold of it. We just have to remember it. We just have to, by faith, believe the reality of the work of the Spirit of God 
and the promise of God that he will take us through. And the verse I read in Philippians 2, that we work out our salvation. That is, we, we work at the things which salvation has really built into us. But we do that by the power of God who is working for his own good pleasure. So the Spirit of God is the grounds of our strength, but also the Word of God. Whatever the Spirit of God does, he does in conjunction with God's Word so that we can be strengthened. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. Hey! Oh, no, it's part of a song that we sing. It's not in the Scripture. It's not even in the Greek or the Hebrew or anything else. But it is the Scriptures that the Spirit of God uses to give us perseverance as we follow their principles. So now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God, provides the strength of God to accomplish these. But, but there's more. The trials of God bring us strength. You might be thinking, oh, wait a minute. It's the trials that we need strength to get through. Well, that's true. But it is also there's those very trials that are the arena in which you gain greater strength. And so that's why the Lord puts you through those smaller trials to begin with. Now, now, sometimes the Lord starts people out with very difficult things, and His infinite strength is sufficient to make it through at every level. But in general, we, the Lord gives us these trials to build our strength so that we can face the next one and the harder one and the bigger things that are coming. So trials are, in fact, a means of gaining strength. And when we view them that way, they bring us joy. When I was going out on my runs again, each individual run wasn't all that much fun. But as I began to realize that when I did those runs and when I did my speed work to try to get faster, the next time I ran, I was stronger. And I was looking ahead to a goal to be able to finish the race well. Then those individual trials brought greater joy because I knew that they were providing me with strength. So the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the trials of God, Romans 5.3, says not only this, we also exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Couldn't be any more clear than that. God brings the trials to strengthen us so that we might have further strength when things get even more difficult. But then also the people of God bring us strength. Hebrews 3.12 says, take care, brethren, there not be any one of you, in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when we come together with other believers, when we talk with them and are encouraged by them, or Zoom them as we've been doing, Zooming here and Zooming there, as we build each other up as believers, that's a source of strength for us. We need other believers in order to be strengthened because God designed us that way. He put us into a body. He didn't just put us all by ourselves. We're not a body individually. We're a body corporately, and every piece is needed. So the people of God bring us strength. Spirit of God, the Word of God, the trials of God, the people of God. But consider this next amazing one. The prayers of God bring us strength. Do you know, do you understand that Jesus himself is praying for you? And if he is praying for you, then that will provide the necessary strength as he appeals to the Father for you to have the strength that you need. Romans 8, 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Sometimes that intercession is presented simply as reminding God or, 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 or you know, interceding with the Father that we are his children. And that's true, it is. 
But I think that intercession also includes something like this, Luke 22, 31, where Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. How would you like to hear that pronouncement from your Savior? Oh, by the way, Peter, the enemy of your soul, Satan himself, has asked to personally sift you like wheat, to literally try to pulverize you into dust and have you blown away with the chaff. You can imagine what Peter thought about that. Well, here's what Jesus said to comfort him. Now, what I would have liked to hear after that, Simon, Simon, the old Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. What I would want to hear is, and I said no. <laughs> I would want the Lord to say that, but he didn't. He said, but I have prayed for you. You can just imagine Peter going, thanks. But consider this. The prayers of Jesus are always efficacious. If he, that is, they're effective. If he prays for something, it's going to happen. And he says, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. You see, I believe that the, that the Lord Jesus is interceding for us moment by moment to the Father that our faith wouldn't fail regardless of how hard the difficulty is. So it won't. For true believers, their faith will not ultimately fail. They might fail individually. Peter did. Remember. He failed miserably. He denied Jesus three times, but his faith did not ultimately fail. He was sifted. It was really hard, but he returned to the Lord and was used of God to build the church as the apostle who led the, the charge of the church out into the world. So the prayers of God will hold you fast. They provide you strength, but also the fear of God. The fear of God will provide strength for you as you develop that delightful, dreadful, consuming, reverential awe. You will draw from that the strength you need to persevere through trials because you recognize the greatness and awesomeness of your God. All the songs we sang tonight, what a blessing of how great God is, how he leads us, how he cares for us. It is those things that we rehearse about God that give us strength. They give us a reverence and awe which enable us to go through the greatest of difficulties because we know how great our God is. Jeremiah 32, 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. You see, when you truly have a love, awe, a holy dread, a respect of God, when things get difficult, you don't turn away from him, you turn to him. You recognize his greatness. You see, those who don't have a true fear of the Lord, when things are really hard, they blame God and they get angry at God and they don't persevere through the trial. They run away from God because they had no fear of him. They don't trust him. They don't have an awe of him, knowing that he is good. Instead, they turn away. And so that might be something you used to check yourself with. When trials come, do you begin to blame him, get angry and bitter? Or does the true fear of the Lord, understanding his character, his nature, his kindness, his goodness, his power, the fact that he's for you and loves you, do you draw towards him as a result of that and therefore persevere through the trial, or do you turn away? The fear of God will give us strength, and then the faith of God. It's that very faith that Jesus prayed for for Peter. And it is that faith that God himself strengthens and empowers. You'll, you continue to believe in the midst of a trial because God holds your faith firm. 1 Peter 1.5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you are strengthened by faith, but it's really the faith of God. That is that he empowers you to it so that it will not fail. What is your strength for trials or strength for perseverance? The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the trials of God, the people of God, 
the prayers of God, the fear of God, and the faith of God. What greater power do we need? So we aren't lacking in resources. And I hope that will be the encouragement you take from that point. These are things you've probably already known, but I just want to remind you of the great power available to you that is actually being extended on your behalf even as we speak. The, the, the Father is hearing the prayers of the Son. The Word of God is doing its work. The Spirit of God is working in you. Your understanding of God and your awe of Him is building in you this perseverance. You have all the power you need to make it through every trial, most certainly one like this, where you're locked down and locked away and wrestling and struggling with maybe what's going to come in the future, God, God's strength will enable you to persevere. Well, before we move on to a, a model of how we pursue, uh, pursue perseverance, I just thought it would be good to shine a little light through the illustrations of the Old Testament. What does perseverance look like in people who, whom God has empowered and strengthened in this way? Remember that the Old Testament examples, just what I read in Romans 15, 4, they were written, what, for our encouragement so that as we see those, we will have perseverance because we see the perseverance of others. How about Job? How about Job? You think we're going through difficult things? You think we are having a tough time? And some of you are. You've lost loved ones. You know those who are wrestling and struggling, maybe even unto death in this particular time. But Job, I mean, his trials were exponentially worse. His own sickness so great that literally Satan had taken him to the edge of death without killing him because he wasn't allowed to. But that was it. Every day he was assailing him with sicknesses that would have, would have placed him right at death's door. In fact, would have killed him had God allowed it. But that's how great his sickness was. And he lost everything, his children, his family. Only his wife left alive to mock him. James 5.17 says, We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that he's full of compassion and merciful. God was merciful to Job. And as we look to that, even in the midst of the great difficulty, Job, Job wrestled. He struggled, and yet he made it through. God brought him through, empowering and strengthening his faith, and was gracious to Job in the end. And he will be gracious to us. So remember, Job, when you consider the difficulties of the trials you face. How about Joseph? Who has the favored son wearing his coat of many colors was thrown into a pit while his brothers ate lunch. Uh, they were going to originally kill him. They thought, why kill him? Let's make some money. So they threw him on a donkey. He got carted down to Egypt and sold in the slave market. His coat dipped in the blood of a slain animal and shown to his father, ripped up and shown to his father as evidence that he was dead. Well, it would have been easy to not endure and not persevere. And then he rises to prominence uh, by the Lord's grace, by his diligent hard work, by not losing heart, by persevering in that difficulty. He's able to rise to Potiphar's uh, steward who oversaw all of his, his, uh, his entire land and everything that he did. So Potiphar did nothing. He worried about what he ate. Potiphar's wife and by no guilt of his own. In fact, he fled, tried to flee. From, he did flee from that encounter. He ends up in prison. We could have given up then, but he didn't. Even there, he persevered through the power of God to then care for the prisoners and rise to a place where he could be uh, established, be, be taken to Pharaoh to, to interpret his dream and ultimately be a blessing to the rest of the people of God to accomplish the plan of God. Joseph endured through great hardship. And then how about Daniel? Who as a teenager was exiled in a foreign land. Spent 70, close to 70 years serving a pagan government in a pagan land far from home with no hope but the word of God and the spirit of God. And in Daniel chapter 6, when he's 75 years old, a new 
regime comes to power, the Medes and Persians, he, he comes underneath the, the condemnation of several of the ministers, and they try to find some area where he's been unfaithful in those 75 or 70 to 75 years of government service. And in Daniel 6, 4, it says, the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. I mean, who hasn't cheated in a government affair? I mean, I don't think we could find a single official, perhaps, these days. who wasn't cheated in something, but they went through all of the records of his 70 years of faithful service, and it says they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Faithful in government affairs to accomplish his work, faithful to pray three times a day, even at 70 to 75 years old, and God used that perseverance, again, to bless his people and accomplish his work. How about Ruth, who marries into Naomi's family, and then everyone dies. The dad dies, her husband dies, all the men die. She's left, uh, Ruth is left with a bitter mother-in-law and no prospects, and yet she perseveres and endures and goes with Naomi back to the land of Israel and is used by God to be a blessing. She ultimately goes into Boaz's field because of her hard work, her perseverance in the midst of this trial, again, with no hope. She did not individually have any direct hope of ever being out of that hard situation, just working for her mother-in-law, no hope of finding a husband in a foreign land with people that hated Moabites. And she was faithful to serve the Lord, to persevere. And in Ruth chapter 2, when she gets recognized by Boaz in the field, and she says, why are you treating me like this? Boaz said this to her. All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She persevered under the hand of God. She trusted God. She loved God, and therefore she persevered, not knowing what would come next. Ultimately, she receives the blessing of the hand of God to be in the very line of King David and of King Jesus. God blessed her perseverance as he blesses every faithful believer's perseverance, but you must persevere. And then there was Esther, who endured danger and difficulty to defeat Haman, who was faithful all along the way, and God used her powerfully to save her people because of her endurance and perseverance through a difficult situation. So that's just a, a little snapshot. I could, I could name hundreds in the Bible, Old and New Testament, whom God, by His grace, enabled to persevere through trial and difficulty, and they were used of God in powerful ways. Thank you for joining us today on Grace Maryville Weekly. We pray that your heart has been encouraged and your faith has been strengthened by the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more about the ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. Online, you will be able to find out more about the many ministries that we offer, including our youth ministry, our women's and men's ministry, as well as our college-aged ministry. Not only will you be able to find out more about the ministries that we do offer, you'll be able to access a full audio archive of messages presented from the pulpit at Grace Community Church. Again, please join us on Friday, where Pastor Chris will conclude this two-part message. 